I love that image. I imagine some frontier town, a place where you could drag some wood and build a fire before anyone got round to stopping you. Then you'd stand there with a crazed look on your face, emptying your gun into it. It's a powerful image, and I guess Grandpa's lost, lost control. Maybe there you have to look at the whole verse about people being shocked. And of course, Grandpa's already buried in the rock. So maybe this is some really tough old timer railing against trespasses on his freedom. I think there's a lot of empathy for the Old West. And maybe Grandpa's some hippie from the end of the 1800s and he's become a symbol of something that's happening now. And then the next verse does not seem so difficult, but then here, the preacher looked so baffled when I asked him why he dressed with 20 pounds of headlines stapled to his chest. That sounded fairly simple to me, so I ploughed right in. I'd say 20 pounds of headlines stapled to his chest was just another way of saying that the preacher was crippled by the indoctrination he'd accepted. Right, I can see this now. So 20 pounds of headlines is the newspapers and the misinformation they often have. And stapled means that he can't get it out of his mind. That's what I'd say. Good. So, the rain man gave men two cures. Texas medicine and railroad gin. And he mixed them. His mind is strangled. And people get uglier. He has no sense of time. I burst out laughing at that point. Sorry, Annalie, I have to give up on that one. I have no idea what a rain man might be. I hear him singing ragman, which might be another word for a hobo or tramp. But Texas medicine and railroad gin? No idea other than that he had two extremely bad alternatives and made the mistake of trying them both at the same time. So, again... The next verse is not so hard, but then you must know about my debutante. And she says, your debutante knows just what you need, but I know what you want. Hmm. Well, you know what a debutante is, I asked, and Annalie nodded. So it seems unlikely that he's in a position to know one of those. So maybe it's simply a reversal of images, as a debutante would probably be more inclined to want than need. When you're poor, you usually need rather than want. Wanting tends to come later. Yeah, Annalie laughed. Soon we are finished. Then needing and wanting can all happen. So, who are the neon madmen? The rest is simple. The neon madmen? No idea. You know, Annalie, I think Dylan sometimes just throws these images in for the colour and for their incongruity. Then there's simply the sound of the words. And of course, that 
probably applies to a lot of the phrases that I've interpreted. Annalee finished writing her notes on Bob Dylan's song and we tumbled into the night. The days and weeks rolled by and then suddenly, as if it were entirely unexpected, Annalee was gone. Gone, gone, gone beyond. Gone completely beyond. She was gone permanently, sans address. That's the way she wanted it. I could see the sense of it from her point of view. Annalie was a strange mixture of romanticism and pragmatism. She was evidently sad to leave me behind, but she knew that our lives could no longer coincide. She had career plans in Switzerland. I had art school ahead even though it was two years later than she imagined. I also had a blues band who relied on me for vocals, and so there was no realistic space for trips to Switzerland. That was how it had been arranged from the beginning, and there was no way to change what we'd arranged. I'd agreed to the temporary nature of our liaison, and it would have been both doltish and churlish to complain when the end became a reality. I'd been an adult, and now. I was something else, with two months wanting for my 16th birthday. Stephen Ron had mentioned the need of a percussionist, I was less bothered, but happy to go along with the idea, as long as it didn't intrude into the ethos we had evolved as a trio. I'd hardly settled to the idea that we needed a percussionist when Jack Hackman turned up. He'd entered Farnham Grammar School that year because his parents had moved from Wiltshire. Steve came to know Jack was a drummer in the usual way, as music was everyday conversation in the 1960s. Jack could perform fancy drum rolls on the school desk with improvised drumsticks, and Steve concluded he was worthy of an introduction. Jack has a weird hairstyle, but he seems competent. I think we should try him out. I thought that was good, but Ron was wary. I hope he didn't get the idea we'll take him on just like that. We need to be able to tell him if he's not good enough. Steve looked a little put out. Well, naturally, Ron. He knows he's coming for a tryout. Well, I chimed in, when do we put Jack to the rack? Jack came. We launched into rolling and tumbling. Jack played along. Ron frowned. Steve and I looked sheepish when we noticed Ron's expression. Ron, with the expression of an exasperated parent, motioned for Jack to leave his drums. Ron motioned Steve and I to play, 
So I hit out a simple 12 bar on Ron's Telecaster. Ron then proceeded to show Jack how to play blues percussion. After a few rounds of 12 bar, Ron handed the drumsticks back to Jack, asking, can you do that? Jack nodded and complied. He stumbled a few times, but after a couple of minutes he had it down. It was an arduously difficult audition for Jack, who looked highly anxious throughout. But Ron accepted him in the end, on the condition that he put in a great deal of serious practice. Suddenly, we were a band. Suddenly, we needed a name. We spent an evening brainstorming it, and we ended up with the Savage Cabbage Blues Band. 